We're going to continue to worship the Lord through the preaching of His Word this morning. If you would open your Bibles to Joshua chapter 18, let's start reading in verse 1. We'll read 1 through 3. Joshua 18, 1 through 3. And the whole congregation of the children of Israel assembled together at Shiloh and set up the tabernacle of the congregation there. And the land was subdued before them. And there remained among the children of Israel seven tribes which had not yet received their inheritance. And Joshua said unto the children of Israel, How long are you slack to go to possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers has given you? And there was a question here because they, they had been promised this promised land. They wandered in the desert for 40 years till that first generation died off. Moses died having seen the promised land, but not entered in. Joshua became the man that the Lord raised up to bring the children of Israel into the promised land. And I don't know how many years had passed by this time from Joshua 1 and the the battle of Jericho and so forth, all that that took place in this time. But they set up the temple, uh, the tabernacle at Shiloh, and all the children of Israel were gathered together, but seven of the twelve tribes had not yet gone and possessed their lands. The fact that the Lord was giving giving the land to them doesn't mean they didn't have to go possess it. You understand what I'm saying? He gave them the land. He told them how it would be. It's going to be a land that flows with milk and honey. You won't even have to plant the... You're going to eat of things you didn't even plant and drink of the water and so forth. It's there. And He said, I'm going to drive the enemies out before you. So they had to literally go in and possess the land. They had to go take it. It's like we're sitting back and somebody says, I'm giving you that mansion up there on the hill. You say, wow, thank you so much. You know, at some point, if you're going to go to possess it, you got to go possess it. You have to go take it. And after however much time this was, seven of the twelve tribes had still not yet possessed their land. And Joshua rebukes them. He says, "Uh, how long are you slack to go possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers has given you. So that it's already a past tense. The Lord's given it to you, but you haven't possessed what He's given you. You haven't taken hold of it and started to enjoy it and live in it and dwell in it and appropriate what God has for you. And He has this plan to give out men, uh, three men from each tribe and go search it out. Let's make a new game plan, kind of regroup, and let's get after it. <clears throat> go on and finish taking the land that God's given you. And... I want to talk this morning to you a little bit about the fact that God has things for His people to possess. He has things for us as children of God, as part of His body, born of His Spirit, that He has things that He wants us to possess. And He wants us to possess whatever He has for us in Christ. He wants us to lay hold on those things. And He wants us to make progress. Okay, He wants us to make progress in our walk with God. He wants us to to move forward. And I looked up the word progress because I felt like this message this morning is about making progress in the Lord. Just encourage one another to admonish one another to make progress. And just from a Webster's definition, this is not a biblical definition, but just in general, the word progress, it means advancement to go forward. A gradual betterment. To develop to a higher, better, or more advanced state. 
And I believe with all my heart that God desires that for us. Amen? He desires that for His people. That He desires us to take us from where we are. And there's always through this life, there's never going to be a point on this side of heaven, okay? When we're in this body on this planet with our feet planted on this earth where God is, does not want us to make progress in our walk with Him. To where we can sit back and say, oh, now I've done it all. That wouldn't be it for a case of a missionary who spent 50 years on a mission field. That's not the case for any of us. Okay, We're making progress and He wants us to make progress. And He says here in a physical sense, I know it was a physical land. The promised land was a literal land with literal borders. Okay, Marked out by boundaries. But in a spiritual sense, uh, God wants us to possess the ground that He has for us in Jesus. And I think sometimes he might say, Randy, why are you so slack in possessing what I have given you freely in my son Jesus? Amen. Yes, you're born again. You're going, to, you're going to go to heaven one day when you die. And you're walking with me. But there's a lot more in Christ that I have for you that you are slack in laying hold of and starting to appropriate it into your life and to claim it as your own. And I don't think it's being greedy. I don't think it's being, you know, me, me, me kind of thing. But I think it's honoring to God, like we talked about in Sunday school, that bearing much fruit glorifies God. And I think you and I walking in the fullness of all that He has for us as believers is glorifying to God. I think there's a power that we can walk in that we don't always walk in. I think there's a faith that we can have if we, weren't worried, we wouldn't be worried all the time that God wants us to walk in. It's still out there. You know what I mean? That we don't... Maybe we've tasted of it from time to time. Maybe we've uh, experienced it for little moments in our life, but we don't just abide there. And God wants us to possess it and to walk in all that He has for us. Um, a young reporter asked Pablo Casals one time... Is, He's 95 years old, this old man Pablo Casals, and he says, you are the best celloist that ever lived on the planet. He says, why do you still practice six hours a day at 95 years old? Why do you still practice six hours a day? He says, because I think I'm making progress. And I thought that's a good way to, to live. I know that's just in a natural sense, but at 95, you know what? He thought he was getting better. He might have been. He was already the best celloist in the world, cellist in the world, and it, and he says, "I think I'm making progress. Therefore, I practice six hours a day. There's some improvement. There's something I can get better at." And that definition that I gave of progress, it says advancement to go forward, a gradual state of betterment, a gradual state of betterment to develop to a higher, better, or more advanced state. Is there anybody in this room that would say, I've reached the top in my spiritual walk. I've reached the top and I'm an example of all that there is in Jesus. Nobody would say that. Nobody would say that. Um, We all feel like there's more. Well, there is more. Okay? And there's more. It's not necessarily different. It could be just more of what you know already. It could be deeper in what you know already. It could be abiding more consistently in, with a mindset of peace or joy or faith. That I stay there instead of just having those peaks and valleys so much that we would maintain this walk with God. 
And I think if we maintain our walk with the Lord, He's going to show us things and give us new things and uh, that we can lay hold on. The children of Israel were in the promised land and yet they hadn't possessed all that was there. They weren't actually dwelling in the lands. There were still some enemies there that they hadn't cast out yet. And yet God brought them in. It was there. He promised to give them to them. And He says, that I'm going to drive out the enemy before you. Didn't mean they weren't going to have to fight. He says, when you do go fight, I'm going, to, I'm going to give you victory. I'm going to cause you to win. I'm going to cause you. And so there's things in our lives as Christians we have to fight against. could be some particular uh, attack of the devil in your life. It could be a, a temptation. It could be your flesh. Something you really struggle with. It could be something in your mind that always causes you to worry or fret or to, to be anxious. And yet, God wants us to fight but He promises to give, promise us to give us the victory. Amen. And we are to claim it and to lay hold on it. We all know the Scripture. I'm not even going to ask you to turn there. But Paul said, after he'd been saved, after he'd been called to be an apostle to the Gentiles, after he was walking with the Lord for years, he says, I press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. <clears throat> what is he saying? He's saying there's advancement to be made. <clears throat> there's progress to be made. There's more ahead of me. And, and I always like to think there's more ahead of us than, than behind. Even on our walk with God, there's more out there. And as he describes the calling of God, or the Holy Spirit through Paul, describes the calling of God as the high calling of God. And I like that. I think it's that way for a reason. Calling means your vocation or an invitation to come, to call, to come forth, or to, to call forth. It's an invitation or a vocation. It's like when Jesus was at Lazarus' tomb and He had been dead four days. He was buried. His body was smelling and decaying in a tomb. And He says, Lazarus, come forth. That's the calling. Okay? And He called a dead man from the grave. And the dead man came forth from the grave. Amen. Okay? Loose him and let him go. And they let him go. Well, that's the same calling in that sense. It means to call <laughs> forth. And everything about the call of God upon the life of a believer. Now, talking to Christians, okay? Everything about the call of God on the life of a believer is high. It's a high calling of God. It's better. It's better than any other call of God that could possibly, I mean, call that could possibly be on your life. The call of God. Okay? And it's better than any call you had upon your life before you were saved. It's the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. It's better than any other calling. It's a holy calling. So in that sense, to me, it's, it's a high calling. It's holy. It's, uh, it's upward. Okay? It's upward. It's, it's upward morally. It's, the Lord saved us out of the depths of sin. Okay? He rescued us from hell that's below to heaven that's above. Everything is upward about it when you really sit and think about it. We're not going down, down, down. We're, the Lord's calling us upward and onward and upward and onward. And so we need to provoke each other, the Bible says, to love and good works. We need to provoke each other to more. Whatever our prayer life has been, whatever our prayer meetings have been like in the church, again, I'm not talking about that we have to be bouncing off the walls. I'm talking about growing in our prayer life. I'm talking about being more expressive in our worship, more intimate with God in our worship, privately and publicly greater in our knowledge of God's Word. Everything about the Lord's call, He's moving us from here to here. He's not just moving us from here to here and then stop. It's a progression. 
It's a constant moving. Paul says, I'm pressing towards the mark for the prize, the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He lifted us out of the hand of the enemy, out of the gates of hell, out of a life of vanity. Um, David says, I waited patient for the Lord and He inclined unto me and heard my cry. And then what does he say he did? He lifted me up also out of a horrible pit. It's upward. You see everything about the Lord. He's taken us because sin just pulls you down. It's just a down. It's, there's no bottom to it. You ever thought how far can sin go downward? Like how depraved can somebody be? I don't know that there's a limit to that. I just think it's just things that will blow our minds. How depraved. And the Lord rescued us from that. He lifted us up out of a horrible pit. Out of a miry clay. He set our feet on a rock and established our goings. Put a new song in our heart. <clears throat> and He saved us from something to something. So if you're picturing a horrible pit, He didn't just save us out of a pit because He didn't want us to sink in it. He saved us out of a pit and set our feet upon a rock and established our goings. That means we're going somewhere. He's established a pattern for our life, a walk for our life, a goal in uh, a destination to where we're heading. Even as saved people, we're not saved and then we just sit back. We're saved and now the, the journey really begins, right? Now we begin to run the race that God has set before us, but He saved us from something to something. I go to this passage a lot, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it. I have it written down from 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, 9 and 10. It says, Paul says, For they themselves show of us what manner of entering, entering in we had unto you, how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven, who He raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. What I love about that Scripture is it says, we came to you, we brought you the Word of God, and you received it. You turned to God from idols. To God from idols. Not just to God, but He says to serve the living God. To walk with Him. okay, To serve the living and true God. And to wait for the promise of His coming. The promise of the rapture. And so a couple of weeks ago, y'all, two Sunday mornings ago, we talked about the call upon our lives, every believer, the call upon our lives to be soul winners, right? We're ambassadors for Christ. God has called us to fulfill the Great Commission. And whether you're in full-time ministry or not, we're full-time soul winners, no matter where we are. We're ambassadors for Christ. Last week, I talked about uh, full surrender to the Lord, to where... Uh, complete Lordship of Jesus Christ being the Lord of our lives. And, and this week, I want to talk to you, and I feel the Lord would have us to talk about moving forward. Not that we're perfected in any of those other areas that we've already preached or ministered on, but I want to talk to you about moving forward in the Lord. It's important, it's necessary uh, in the life of a Christian that we move on. It's necessary that we make progress. It's necessary that we advance in our walk with God, in our relationship with God. And this, again, is one of the things to me that's very exciting about knowing Jesus and walking with the Lord is there's still more to be had. There's still more to be had. But at the same time, I should be where I should be by now. Remember our lesson on in Hebrews on Wednesday nights we've talked about in chapter 5, for when for the time you ought to be teachers... You know, you're having to be taught again the first principles of the, the faith, basically. And uh, he was rebuking them. 
because they should have been here and they were only here. There, are, there is a place where we should be in Christ now. I can't tell you where it is for your life. But there's a place you ought to be in your maturity in Jesus now. However long you've been saved and so forth. And there's a place I should be. And then there's a place we should be moving to. And God knows what it is. And in a physical sense, again, with, with those that have children and raise children, and you know where they should be. They should be talking by now. They should be walking by now. They should be, whatever, by this point, feeding themselves by now. Whatever. And God knows where we should be. And I believe He can show us where we should be. We know if we're lacking. We know if we're lagging behind. I believe God shows us that. But there's an absolute necessity that people of God keep moving forward. That we possess all that God has for us and we progress in our walk with the Lord. Again, it's exciting to belong to the Lord. When we got saved, y'all, we didn't merely join a church or, uh, you know, becoming a Christian is not just joining a church or changing some old habits or adopting some, a new set of values. It's, it's a new life in Christ. We're born again. Mm-hmm. And if I'm born again, then I'm born as a babe. <clears throat> There's nothing wrong with being a babe when you're supposed to be a babe. But that babe is supposed to grow. And we need to grow. And God wants us to grow. It's a new life. And He saved us from the slavery of sin unto a life in Christ. And there's a lot in this life to Christ. In Christ. There's a lot in it. There's a lot that he, that we are to possess and lay hold of. And God wants us to move on with. The Bible says that as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. It's a whole new life. And we're to walk in it. We're to walk in direction. We're to walk after Jesus. The Bible says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, we're to run the race that is set before us. And I often think about that passage because we don't choose the race. We don't choose the race. We choose Christ. He chose us, okay? And we choose Christ. And we give our lives to Jesus. Now that I've chosen Jesus to be my Lord and Savior, then He is my Lord and Savior. And He chooses the race, okay? He sets our feet on the rock and establishes our going. The rock is Jesus. The way we walk is in accordance to this Word. We walk filled with this Spirit. As we walk that way, we will be making progress. We will be advancing. He'll show us things as we're going through life. Areas where we're lacking. Areas where we're falling behind. He'll give us a glimpse or a vision of something that's deeper or that's still out there. And then, praise God, He'll stir our hearts to possess it to lay hold on it, to go for it. And, and He'll help us to do that. But it's, it's a newness of life and we walk in it. We learn from the Word of God that the saints of God are to gain ground. We're to gain spiritual ground. Okay, Again, upward and onward. When, when, the, when the Bible describes the baptism of the Holy Spirit, for example, we talked a lot about it in, in the past couple of months. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is described as a out of your belly shall flow, flow rivers of living water. It's not described as a lake. Nothing wrong with a lake. It's not described as a pond. It's described as a living water. And to me, that's saying there's a movement there. There's something going on. There's life. And it's moving. Out of your belly is going to flow. A river, you know, uh, you, you sit in an inner tube or a raft or canoe or something, you go down a river, it's going to move you. There's life in it, and it's going to move you from a place to place. And the Holy Spirit in our walk with God is going to move us 
The Holy Spirit is going to move us to gain new ground in the Lord. The body's getting older. The body's breaking down. We don't have as much physical strength maybe and so forth as we have. But spiritually, that inward man, the Bible says, is being renewed day by day. That's exciting. I'm not captive to this body. The body you know, might be on crutches and can't walk. But the spiritual man can grow and flourish and abound and gain new heights in the Lord and possess new things in the Lord. And, and that's, those are the things that are valuable and that are eternal. But it's, it's uh, not a stagnant life. A life in Jesus is not just stagnant where you're just staying put. This is where I was. I got saved 25 years ago and I'm still right here. God doesn't want us to be that way. And we shouldn't want to be that way. And as a church body right here, God should, we should want to move on and make progress. I promise that God has that for us. I want to read this, uh, this Scripture from Luke uh, chapter 19, verse 13. It says that He called His ten servants. This is a parable that the Lord gave about a, a master who was going to go out and possess a kingdom and then it says He was going to return. So He left His servants in charge. He called ten servants, delivered them ten pounds, and He said unto them, Occupy till I come. You know that Scripture? Occupy till I come. And <clears throat> occupy means to busy oneself with. Busy oneself with. There were not to just be, okay, the Master's going away, and so while, while He's gone, we're just going to take a vacation. And we're going to watch ESPN all day long. And we're just going to, we're just going to relax and take it easy. Occupy till I come. Be busy thyself, oneself, with what I have for you to do. Because he said, I'm coming again. Alright? In the parable, the one who went out to possess the kingdom and come back, the master was coming back. Our Lord has told us he's coming back, right? If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. So he's made the promise, right? And if I that where I am, you, you may be also. So what are we doing in the meantime? We're just twiddling our thumbs. I know you know this. We're not just waiting for the Lord to come. We're waiting and we're occupying ourselves. That's what we're to learn from that parable. He's gone. He's coming back. He sent the Holy Spirit. So technically, you know, He'll never leave us nor forsake us. But He's literally coming back in the clouds for, for us, <laughs> for the saints of God. And He wants us to be moving onward and upward. To when He, when he comes again, we're not ashamed at His coming. I don't want to be found when the Lord comes back in, involved in some sin. Right when He comes back. I don't want to be found being lazy spiritually when He comes back. I pray when He comes back, I'm like at the highest I've ever been in my walk with God. You know what I mean? Like At that moment, it's like the highest I've ever been in my relationship with Jesus. Wouldn't that be wonderful? That's when He raptures us. Because spiritually speaking, that's where we'd be closest to more Christ-like than any time ever. And I know when we see Him, we'll be like Him. The Bible tells us there was a young girl that asked Albert Einstein one time. He was gray-headed and old by that time. And she said to him at a dinner party one time, exactly what do you do uh, for a living? What, what is it you do? And Einstein said, well, I've, I've devoted my life to studying physics. She says, you still study physics at your age? I finished a year ago. 
he was still moving on, okay, like the 95-year-old cellist that we talked about. Uh, she finished a long time ago. Well, that's why he's Albert Einstein, and he's still going on. Uh, and she was not, okay? And I'm not either. I don't claim to be. But there's a lot more ground for us to take. There's a lot more ground for us to possess in the Lord. And the, there's a reason when you stop and think of very plain and simply, there's a reason that we're still here on this earth. And we talked two weeks about go about being soul winners. That's certainly one of them. But why are we still here? What's the point? Is it just to, to get a paycheck and you know pay bills and, and do it again tomorrow and the next day? That's part of life, but that's not the reason for life. That's a necessity in life, but that's not the reason, the purpose in my life. I have a high calling, high calling of God in Christ Jesus upon my life. So the highest thing in my life, the purpose for you and I being here, first He saved us, then He placed this calling upon our lives. It's He placed it. It's not. It's like the race that's set before us. We didn't choose it. We didn't choose the calling. He placed the high calling of God in our lives. There's a purpose in me living here. And living here as a child of God. That I would keep uh, individually, there's a purpose for you being a believer and the growth that God wants from your life. And, and as a church right here, in this three-month-old church, there's a reason in us being a church. Amen. This is not all that there is for us. I can't name all what it is that's out there, but I know that this is not all that there is. There's going to be more. I believe there will be more people. I believe that the people that are here and those that will come, there's a deeper walk with God. There's a more of a prayer life with the Lord. There's uh, greater outreaches and service to God. In every area, I believe that there's more. And we need to press towards that and know that and not just get complacent where we're sitting. I want to read this from Deuteronomy. This is with Moses in the, uh, out in the wilderness. And the Lord spake unto me, saying, Ye have compassed this mountain long enough. Turn you northward. And command thou the people, saying, You are to pass through the coast of your brethren, the children of Esau, which dwell in Seir, and they shall be afraid of you. Take ye good heed unto yourselves therefore. Wherever they were at this point, he says, You've compassed this mountain long enough. It's time to go forward. Alright? It's time to go forward. And we need to constantly, I mean daily, continually be checking our lives to see not that we just get frustrated and aggravated, okay, but that we would really look at and see, am I making progress? And is our church making progress? Is there something, I'm part of that church, is there something I can do to help in our church? Uh, not that we, don't, we don't ever want to be busy just to be busy. And Dee and I talk about this all the time. We were even talking about, I think yesterday or Friday, we don't want to get a calendar and just fill it up to where we're just, look how busy and active we are. And we're running ourselves ragged and drained. Yeah, I want it to be as busy as God wants it to be. Okay? But to understand that there's more and not to get complacent and think that this is all that there is or all that God desires. I'm very thankful. Uh, right now, today, this morning, I think where we're where we where we are where we're supposed to be as a church. You understand that? But I believe He is definitely provoking us and moving us on to more. I believe that. And so we as God's people, a uh, couple of things. It's important.
important, it's necessary that you and I, first of all, hear from God. You have to be able to hear from the Lord. And I know God calls a pastor, and to a certain extent, you know, he, he shepherds and pastors, and he can hear from the Lord. But you and I, we all need to be able to hear from God. And that just goes with Christianity and our relationship with the Lord. And we need to hear that call of God upon our lives, upon your marriage, upon your family, upon your service to the Lord. You need to hear that yourself. And then we need to uh, discern and know it's from God. And we need to be confident that it's God's will. You have to be able to hear from God. If you can't hear from God on your own, by yourself, you and the Word of God and the Holy Ghost can't hear from God, then you're in trouble. Okay? Get with the Lord and get into His Word. I promise you He'll begin to speak to you. How many times do we say, I don't know if this is God or the devil or just me? I've said the same thing. A lot of times, you know, is this really the Lord or is this just me? And we have to be able to know that. That's crucial. Because two of the three of those I don't want to follow. I don't want to follow me. Even if it looks like a good thing, I certainly don't want to follow the devil. I want to follow the Lord. Okay? And so we have to be able to hear from the Lord, discern His call, discern His voice, be convinced of it. This is what God has called me to. I know it. I'm sure about it. I'm convinced of it. And I can walk in it with great confidence. I might struggle in it. I might have uh, great tests and trials. But I know this is the call of God upon my life. Okay? Now, I'm not, there's a specific call, you know, like I'm called to be a pastor or whatever. But then, and there's a general sense, there's a call, high calling of God in Christ Jesus that's upon all of our lives. We all know already we're supposed to be growing in the Lord. We all know that, right? And so that's for all of us. We all know we're to be sharing His gospel with others and preaching this gospel and making disciples of men, for example. And it's important that we know the call of God, that we're confident from the Lord that that, that is His call, and then by faith we respond to that call. Okay, when the Lord said, Jesus stood outside of Lazarus' tomb and said, Lazarus, come forth, Lazarus responded. Okay, there was no doubt He came out. And so when God calls us, it's important that you and I respond. What if we hear the call of God, but we ignore it? What if we hear, hear the call of God and we rebel against it and kick against it? What if we hear the call of God and we stick our fingers in our ears and pretend like we don't hear because we really don't want it? It's important how we respond and, it, we, and when we respond. We need to respond humbly. We need to respond obediently to the Lord. And we need to respond in, respond in a timely manner. You know, and I'll get back to you on this later, God. I'm too busy right now. I'm enjoying my life right now. And this call that you're calling me to is just going to you know, take all my fun away. It's going to mess up my plans. And it's important that we respond to the Lord. Uh, and these aren't just vague, mysterious things. I think when God calls you, He can assure you what the call is and make it clear to you as much as you need to know. Let's put it that way. Or as much as I need to know. He doesn't show us A through Z always at one time, and then here's my whole life for the next 45 years. It's all laid out. But I promise you, He can call you and make you confident in that call and show you as much as you need to know to take the next step. 
and to obey him. And that's a no-brainer. He makes it very clear. These are not vague things. Well, I feel this and I feel that. We need to know from God. We need to know what that call is and walk in it. And we can know it. Amen? And I honestly believe that should be a normal... That should be normal and not a rare a rarity that we hear from God and that we walk and respond to Him in obedience. Uh, there was the, the Macedonian call. We all know it in the Bible where, where Paul, it says he, he had determined to go one place and he was going to go preach the Gospel. He wasn't going off into sin. He was going to go off and continue the ministry in another place. And I'll just read this from Acts 16. And in a vision appeared to Paul in the night, there stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying... So he's having this vision. And in the vision, there's a man. The man saying from Macedonia saying, come over into Macedonia and help us. After that, he had seen the vision. Immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the Gospel unto them. God made it clear to him, right? He was determined to do a good thing over here. Well, God had a better thing over here for him to do. And a different place to go. And a different time to go. And here's where I want you to go. And here's how I want you to go. And when I want you to go. And what I want you to do there. And so, God has a way of making it clear to His people what that call is. And then we need. it's very important that we respond. It says here that we endeavor, this would have been Luke probably and whoever else was with Paul at the time, uh, we endeavor to go into Macedonia. Macedonia says immediately. Immediately. We endeavored. We set out to go. We made our plans because we were sure that God had called us to go preach there. What is God calling this church to? What is God calling you to? What is He calling you to in your marriage, in your walk with God, in your family, and so forth? How you and I respond is so important because He calls us, and I promise you from the Word of God, and you could promise me the same thing from your own lives, He will equip you to do what He calls you to do. You may not be equipped right now, but when He calls you to do it, and you step forward to do it, you will be equipped to do it. God would never, never, never call you to do it. You say, yes, Lord, and you obey and you step out and He just lets you fall flat on your face and didn't give you what was needed to perform that. He'll always do it. Okay? He'll always do it. Uh, how we respond, y'all, is so critical though. So think about when God does speak, to us and says, here's what I've called. Maybe He's calling you to step it up in your prayer life. Maybe He's calling you to step it up in your giving somehow of yourself, of your finances, whatever it may be. How we respond is important. It's critical how we pray, how we go calling upon the Lord, how we give, how we avail ourselves to the call. If God called me, then I need to say, like Isaiah said, uh, here am I, Lord, send me. The Lord says, who shall we send? Who's going to go for me and who shall we send? And Isaiah says, here am I, Lord, over here, send me. When he availed himself to the call, the call was there, and he says, use me in the call. That's important, isn't it? It's very important. You can be saved and not avail yourself to the call of God upon your life. You can be born again, and, and all through life, or maybe a big part of our Christian walk, 
we don't step up and say, Lord, send me. Here am I. Lord, use me. Um, so it's important how we surrender all that to the Lord. When God speaks, what you and I do next is very important. I mean, I'm not saying we can't be forgiven. I'm not saying God couldn't give you a second chance or a third chance. I am saying this. When He calls you and calls me to do something, how we respond and what we do next is very important. If He calls me, I want you to start a church, it's important that we start a church. Okay? And He calls you and says, I want you all to start your prayer meetings and come ready to pray in the attitude of prayer. It's important that we do that. Okay, that we come like that. I want you to turn your Bibles. A couple more examples of this I want to read uh, from Exodus. Look at Exodus chapter 3. Now, we all know the story of, of uh, Moses out in the wilderness. He's fled from Pharaoh, grew up in Pharaoh's house by Pharaoh's daughter, and uh, raised by Pharaoh's daughter. And now he's on the backside of the desert, and he's probably not sure exactly what's going to happen with his life and he's tending sheep and he's a good shepherd and he's, he's living out there. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 1, Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. And he looked and behold, the bush burned with fire and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, said Moses, Moses, and he said, Here am I. Now we're going to read a little more, but still, this has struck me before. Maybe it has you before as well in reading that encounter. He sees the bush burn. He sees this burning, but it's not being burned up. It's burning, but it's not consumed. It's the bush is still there and it's still burning. Okay, that's unusual. It's not unusual to see a burning bush necessarily, a burning log pile or whatever, but it's unusual to see it burn and not be consumed. And so he says, "I'm going to turn aside and see." And the Bible says, "When the Lord saw that Moses turned aside, then he began to speak to him." There was something important about Moses turning aside and then the Lord began to speak to him and God placed a serious call of God upon his life. This is where he calls him and he says, I've seen the affliction of my people Israel and their slavery and their bondage and their heartache and I am come down to deliver them. Who's going to do it? God's going to do it. I've seen it. I'm going to deliver them. Now I want you to go and be my mouthpiece. I want you to go and be the, the vessel through which I bring this great deliverance to Israel. But he turned aside, and when God saw he turned aside, he began to speak to him. And that began an encounter with the Lord. And what Moses did in response to this was very important. Now, I know he hemmed around, he says, I don't talk well. Why are you choosing me? And then he says, I made your tongue. I'll be with your mouth. I'll send Aaron to help you. And then he says, well, when I tell the elders of Israel that you sent me, and they say, who sent you? What do I say? He says, you tell them I am that, that I am has sent you. What am I saying? It, Moses has some objections. Why? I can't do it. I don't speak good. 
and they're not going to listen to me when I speak. And he said, use this staff and do these miracles, you know. God overcame every objection. When the encounter was over with, Moses was the deliverer of Israel. You understand what I'm saying? And so you could say, well, he didn't obey. He did obey. He objected to this. He questioned that. He was afraid about this. He was insufficient for this. And everything God reassured him, no, here's what you're going to do for that weakness. Here's what I'll do for that problem. Here's what I'll do for that problem. Here's what I'll do for that problem. Now go. Okay? No more excuses. I've got an answer for every excuse. Now go. And when the encounter at the burning bush was over between God's call, calling Moses and Moses, Moses was obedient. Okay? So don't think he was disobedient. He objected. He questioned. He was afraid. God took care of it all. And when it was over, he went. And he was the deliverer of Israel. So I think it's natural in our lives. The Lord's called us to do something like start a new work here or whatever it may be God calls you to, and to have questions and fears and doubts, that's natural. okay. But we bring it to God, and if we'll hear His voice, He's going to overcome all of those. He says, now, now are you satisfied? Now go. I've got told you that I'm going to be with you, and it's going to be okay. And we step forward. And so Moses responded by the end of the call, he was the deliverer of Israel. Amen? That's what God made him. And so when God responds, I mean, calls us, we are to respond. We sing so many songs about yes, Lord. You know, I'll, I'll just say yes and so so forth. Yes, Lord, you can use anything. You can use me. Not only can you use anything, you can, so you can use me. I want you to use me, like Isaiah. Here am I, Lord. He's not just saying you can use me, but I sure hope you use Katie instead. You know, you can use me, but I sure would like it if you use somebody else. We want God to use us. We're not trying to get out of it, so to speak, okay? We're not trying to get out of God's call upon our lives. And it's the same for the Lord Jesus. You know, when He was in the garden, He said, now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this cause came I unto this hour. He wasn't trying to get out of it. He was like... Yes, was it hard? Very hard. But he knew that was the call of God upon Jesus' life was to go to that cross. He was right there at almost to the end in the garden and, uh, or at the end of his life before he went to the cross. And he says, I'm not trying to get out of it. This is what the Lord's called me to do. And then, y'all, not only has he called us to do it, I said it earlier, he will always equip us to do it. So we fall upon our knees and you say, okay, you've called me to do this, Lord. You're sure going to have to do a lot in me to enable me to do that. <clears throat> Call upon God. He'll do it. I promise you. You might think There might be something that God calls you to that you would never ever envision yourself doing or being able to do. Right now, today, sitting in this church, it might seem so beyond you. So far beyond you. There are some things you can maybe see yourself doing. I could maybe do that with a little nudging, a little whatever. I could, I could get over my shyness and do this or that. Some things you might you say I could never do that. But that's who God's going to probably use you to do it. You know what I mean? He's probably going to use you to do it so no flesh will glory in His presence. It'll be all the Lord. I want to look at uh, just a couple more Scriptures. Turn to Mark 16. 
Now we talked about uh, two weeks ago, the Great Commission. Let's just pick up here, here in verse 15 and 16. Here's the call. Okay, Jesus died. He rose again. He promised the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And this is during that 40-day period on the earth after the resurrection. He's with His disciples in verse 16, 15 of Mark. And He said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the Gospel to every creature. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. Then He promises to be with them with power and signs and wonders following. And then that's the call. Here's the response in verse 19 and 20. It says, So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, He was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. And they went forth. So the call was to go forth. The response was simply this, and they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the Word with signs following. Amen. It was important, their response. I know this is simple, but it's true. He called them with a holy calling. He's called us with a holy calling. And the Bible says after He finished talking to them and received up the glory, they went forth and did exactly what He told them to do. And guess what? God did everything He said He would do. The Lord working with them with signs following and wonders following, confirming the Word of God through this supernatural working and power of the Holy Spirit through their lives and through the Gospel and through the testimony. People were getting saved. Miracles were being done. Everything that Jesus said would happen, would happen. It happened through willing vessels that went. Were they perfect? No. Fears, maybe five minutes after they raised the dead, they might have doubted. Five minutes later. It happens. Okay? But God's always going to be faithful. Faithless He who calls you who also will do it. I promise you, He's faithful to you. Whatever He's calling you to do, He's going to do. The Olympic motto, I think it's written in Greek or whatever, but it, it literally means swifter, higher, stronger. That's the Olympic motto for the Olympic Games. It's not, and I thought about this, the, the motto is not swift, high, and strong, but swifter, higher, stronger. To me, because it's a, it's a progress, it's a moving on. It's swifter maybe than you were last year. Okay? Better, stronger, swifter, higher than you were. It's a progress. It's moving, it's moving on in the Lord. And God doesn't want us to get too comfortable on these couches right here, those nice little chairs over there that, that we sit in. God wants us to uh, not to get too comfortable with everything that we have here. I don't just mean physically here, but where we are. We came out of something that was difficult. And we came into something that we're thankful for. I know I am. I'm very thankful. But I don't want to just get lax now and say, okay. He brought us out of something to something. For something. For a purpose. And we need to remember that. And we need again to provoke ourselves on. I'm about to close. I read this illustration. I wanted to share it with you. And we're going to close with one more, one more Scripture after this. This is over 2,000 years ago. There was a Greek artist named Timanthes. And he studied, studied under this, this very respected tutor. This artist tutor that everybody wanted to study under. After several years, the teacher's efforts uh, seemed to have paid off. And Timanthes painted this beautiful work of art. But unfortunately, he got so enamored with his own work, every day he would just come and stare at it and study at it and look at what he had painted. 
He's like, I finally arrived. This is what all, you know, all my, my hard work has paid off. And one day he came back to admire his work again, and he found it all scarred up and marred up and paints thrown all over it, and he was furious. And he goes to his tutor, and his tutor said, I did it for your own good. He goes, the painting was uh, retarding your progress. Start again and see if you can do better. And evidently that worked because Timanthes um, took his teacher's advice and he painted what's called the sacrifice of Iphigenia. I've never heard of it, but it's regarded as one of the finest paintings of that era that's ever been painted. But he was going to sit there every day and just admire his work you know, and just think, I've arrived. This is it. And the tutor, that would have been the teacher, the master, so to speak, marred it because it got, now go and see if you can do better. See if you can do better. And it, it provoked him on to do something better. All right? And so we just don't want, and I'm speaking it to me, help hold me accountable. I'll help hold you accountable that we would continue to, to, to press on in the Lord, that God would strengthen me, that God would move me on, that God would provoke me onward in the Lord. And He will always provide, amen, what's needed. He'll always provide what's needed. He won't call you to something and leave you alone to watch you fail. If He's really called you to do it, you might fail on your own, but you won't fail walking in the power of His might. Okay? I'm going to close with this Scripture. Do you come up if you would. But everybody turn to 1 Kings chapter 19. We're going to close with this account of Elijah. 1 Kings 19. How many of you know some of our greatest tests come after some of our greatest victories? Some of the greatest trials come right on the heels where God used you so greatly. You preached the most wonderful sermon. You've never done it before. Or you taught Sunday school. Or you witnessed and three people got saved. And sometimes right after that, the biggest trial can come. So I want you to read this in 1 Kings 19. Now, Elijah has just challenged all the prophets of Baal with all the children of Israel there and King Ahab and Jezebel and so forth and, and called down fire from heaven. People were halting between two opinions. The Lord, He is God. Fire came down from heaven. Right after that, here's what happens. In, in 1 Kings 19.1, Ahab told Jezebel, all that Elijah had done, with all how he had slain all the prophets with the sword, all the, the prophets of Baal. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow, about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life and came to Beersheba, which belonged to Judah and left his servant there. So what's happened? He, he's had this great victory. God called him to it. He said, let all the people know, Lord, that I'm doing this because you've told me to do it. He calls down fire from heaven, consumes the sacrifice. The people give glory to God. They kill 850 prophets of Baal. It's going to be this great revival. And then Jezebel, a woman, puts a death threat on his life. By this time tomorrow, you're going to be like one of those prophets you killed. Elijah. And that's just the devil. Amen. That's just the devil trying to bring fear. God had called the man to something. And he wasn't going to be stopped by this woman putting a death threat on his life. 
But we, I would be just like, like Elijah. I'm not saying I would be any better. And so he, he goes out in the wilderness. He leaves his servant behind. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree. And he requested for himself that he might die. I like it's very formal there. I make a formal request that I might die. Uh, I don't want to go any further. And he said, It's enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I'm not better than my father's. And as he lay and slept under the juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. And he took and behold, there, he looked and behold, there was a cake baked on the coals and a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink and laid him down again. The angel of the Lord came unto him the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. You still got some place to go, Elijah. Don't sit up here and crawl up under a juniper tree and ask that you might might die. I got a lot more for you to do. There's a great journey ahead for you. And he arose and did eat and drink and listen. And he went in the strength of that meat or that meal 40 days and 40 nights unto Horeb, the Mount of God, where he received his new marching orders, where he received the next things that God had for his life before God called him up in a chariot of fire and caught him away. A lot of times we might think we're done. We're not done. We're not done. We're done when God says we're done. We're done when He raptures us or calls us home. But until then, we're to be making progress. We're to be advancing. There's a great journey ahead, and you better be strengthened by the meat that God gives you for the journey. You're not going to be strengthened by watching college football all day. I watch college football too. That's not going to strengthen me for what lies ahead. We have to come together. Then guess what? We come together again. Then we come together again. And when you're by yourself in your home or your apartment or whatever, you're meeting with God. And you're opening the Word of God. And you're calling upon God. And you're going in the strength that He gives. There's a great journey ahead. There's a lot of land still to possess. There's a lot of progress still to make in Jesus. And I want to make it. And sometimes I don't want to make it. I don't want to progress. I want to, I get comfortable. So we stir each other's up. And I pray that this message would be that. Stand this morning. Unless this is our altar time. This is our time with God. Don't just rush out of here. We'll still be able to eat when we leave. Let's take this time and go and let God strengthen you. That angel touched him when he was at his lowest point. Touched Elijah and says, Arise and eat and drink because the journey is too great for you. But guess what? It's not too great for God. It's not too great for God. And so He'll feed you and He'll feed you a second time. And He'll strengthen you and He'll strengthen you a second time and a third time. And then the Bible says He went in the strength of that meat 40 days and 40 nights until to the Mount of Horeb and God spoke to Him at the Mount in a still small voice and told Him what He had for Him to do. And just, just, just find your altar. Find your place with God. I just encourage you. I pray that our altar grows not just for the sake of it growing, but for God's sake. I pray that it grows in our time at the altar, in our prayer, in our prayer for one another, in our longing after God, in our beseeching the Lord to meet with us, to get in a place of desperation for, with, with God and for God. Lord, we need You this morning, Father. And Lord, forgive me and forgive us, Lord, if we have become complacent. We're thankful for what You've done and then we get comfortable in the place where we are and You never intended for us to set up our home here. You intend for us to move on as a church body. 
You intend for us to move on as Christians. You intend for us to grow and make progress, Lord. And so, Lord, forgive us, God, for the time we've wasted and for the progress we have not made in Jesus. But, Lord, we need You, and we're here this morning confessing our great need for You, God, that we need You. And we're not going to make any progress. I have desire to make progress if You don't put that in us, God, and help us and strengthen us for the journey that's ahead. Let us know what it is. Speak to us. Let us clearly hear Your voice. What is it You have for my life? And Jesus, what is it You have for Cornerstone Church? Here am I, Lord, send me. I want to be part of the answer. I want to be part of the blessing. I want to be part of, of the, the, the vessel that You use, God. And right now this morning, avail Yourself to God like Isaiah did. Say, here am I, Lord, send me. Let God overcome all the objections in your life. I can't because of this, this, and this. You can't use me because I'm not sufficient. Let Bring those before God and let Him overcome every one of those. And by faith, let us get up and walk in what He has for us next, God. Lord, help us in Jesus' name. Thank you, God.